pray that everything that we do this morning in our worship service would be an act of faith and trust in you. And uh, Father, that's why we come to your word each week regularly. We come to your word because we trust you. And we know that what you have to say to us is good and that we need your guidance. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word again, that you would speak, you would lead us, you would guide us, and you would speak clearly to us. And Father, we're easily distracted, we're easily pulled away, miss what you have to say, and so we pray that you would remove any distractions from us, any fears or frustrations or anything that would hinder us from hearing what you have to say, Lord. We pray that you would remove that so that you would speak clearly and directly to each one of us this morning. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our heart to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we are in the middle of Ruth chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Ruth chapter 3, otherwise we'll have the passage up on the screen as well. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here till morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured, it into, six, poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Um, As I've been reading through this passage this week, um, a song has been running in the back of my mind. Um, Not a Christian song, but just a popular song on the radio. Um, Popular a few years ago, but you'll still hear it every once in a while. Um, So I want to read the lyrics to it. Saturday morning, jumped out of bed, put on my best suit, got in my car, raced like a jet, all the way to you, knocked on your door with my heart in my hand to ask you a question, because I know you're an old-fashioned man. Can I have your daughter for the rest of my life? Say yes, say yes, because I need to know. You say, I'll never get your blessing till the day I die. Tough luck, my friend, but the answer is no. Why you got to be so rude? 
Don't you know I'm human too? Why you got to be so rude? I'm going to marry her anyway. Marry that girl. Marry her anyway. Marry that girl. Yeah, no matter what you say. It's kind of a contrast to what we just read, isn't it? It's, uh, um, and yet, the, the interesting thing is, as, as I was listening to this song and, and kind of thinking about the kind of typical narratives going on in our culture, most people would hear this song, I think, hear the lyrics and say, that's romantic. I mean, look how much they love each other. Nobody's going to keep them apart. They just doesn't matter what anybody says. They're going to get together. Dad's a big old jerk. We're going to get married. I don't care what he has to say. And people would go, love is so powerful. It is just, it has no boundaries. And anyone who says anything different than that, they are just stinking rude. And yet, we read this portion of Ruth, and we think, this sounds pretty different. And a lot of people today would read this, they do read this portion of Ruth and say, how unromantic. I mean, Boaz, what is wrong with this guy? This is not romance. I mean, these two running off despite everyone else, that's romantic. But Boaz, he is just a dud. Um. But I want to show you this morning that actually what goes on here in Ruth is romantic. It's actually a really good love story, and it's beautiful. And even though our culture wouldn't see it as being something that's romantic, um, you're you're not seeing songs written about how Boaz handles this situation. You're actually not watching Hallmark movies be written along these plot lines. Um, But it's a deeper romance than the world needs to know. It's a deeper romance than the world does know. Um, and so last week we looked at Naomi's plan, and, uh, and this week we get to watch her plan come into action, and as her plan unfolds, we watch everything unfold as planned. So as Ruth went down to the threshing floor, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. So she did everything exactly as Ruth, as Naomi told her, right? She got all dolled up. She put perfume on. She went down to the threshing room floor just as planned. And Boaz did everything as planned as well, even though he didn't even know the plan. But he, he went, he worked all day, he went and ate, he drank, he was just feeling good about life. He's got this huge harvest of grain, and he went and laid down and went to sleep just as planned. Ruth tiptoes in, uncovers his feet, lays down just as planned. And it just kind of tells you again that Naomi had thought this thing through. When everything went that smoothly, Naomi knew how things were going to go. She, she thought every detail out and everything was going according to plan. And then the next line, and I appreciated that some of you laughed, because um, I laugh every time I get to this part of the story. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman at his feet. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what are you doing here? And, uh, and it's, you know, we, we've had this, if, you've, if you're a parent, you've had this experience where you're laying in bed and you're startled awake and you kind of groggily open your eyes and you've got these two little beady eyes um, looking back at you and it's like, whoa, there's a kid in my room, right? Um, 
multiply that by 10 if there's a woman laying at your feet. Like, whoa, what's going on here, right? And so Boaz does what anybody would do, right? Like, who are you? And, and I think we get kind of so, I don't know, I've, I've had people talk about this, who are you? And they've almost made it sound like Boaz calmly and collectively said, ma'am, who might you be? And that's not how this is going down. I mean, he's half asleep, he's tired, and it's like, wait, what, what, who are you? Why, why are you here? Because it's dark, he doesn't know who's at his feet. They didn't have electricity. <laughs> there wasn't any lights. There's just, there's somebody here. Uh, but Ruth answers. She's ready, and she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you're a redeemer. And it's interesting, this wasn't part of Naomi's plan, was it? Naomi told Ruth, you go in, you lay down, and you stay there until he tells you what to do. They never, she never told Ruth to say anything. She's, you lay there. And, and so Ruth speaks up. because. And a lot of commentators say the author did this to help us understand that Ruth isn't just a robot or a puppet. right? You could get this idea that Ruth is just obedient. She's just going to do whatever she's told. She's incompetent. And that's not the picture we have of Ruth. She's able to handle herself. And so when Boaz says, who are you? Ruth says, Here's who I am, and here's why I'm here. And it answers a lot of questions. Because um, last week, we kind of left on, there's all this uncertainty in the story, right? Like, what's going on? Why is Naomi telling her to do this? That doesn't seem like a good idea. What's going to happen on the threshing room floor? And there's all this, you know, curiosity about this. And a lot of the curiosity revolves around why is Naomi telling Ruth to uncover his feet and all of the sexual ambiguity around that what's that all about and some people say well she wanted Ruth to uncover his feet because then the cool breeze of the night would awaken him no he he woke up because he had a woman laying on his feet and that was crazy Um, other people say no this was something sexual that was going on and we talked about that last week And the answer is no. Um, We know that because of what Ruth says here. She says, when Boaz says, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth. Spread your wings over me, for you're a redeemer. Um, But you, you saw in a different translation, in the NIV, it said what? Spread the corner of your garment over me, right? So it could be translated either way. Spread your wing over me or spread the corner of your garment over me. And so... That's why Ruth was uncovering his feet. She tiptoed in. She picked up the corner of his garment, laid down, and spread it over her as this symbol of saying, Boaz, this is what I want you to do. I want you to protect me. I want you to take me in under your refuge. But, but when he woke up and said, who are you? She didn't wait for him to catch the symbolism of the act. She just said, all right, you catch it. I've got this corner of your garment over me. Take me in under your refuge. Protect me. Redeem me. Or really it was saying, I want you to marry me. And, and this was, I mean, even today still, there's some cultures where you take the corner of your garment and you place it over a woman. That's a marriage proposal. 
But back then it was as well. And, and we even see it in a passage of the Old Testament. As God's talking to, about his people, right? So throughout the Bible, God describes his relationship with his people as a husband to a wife. Right? God says, I'm your husband and you as my people, you are my wife. And so in Ezekiel, God says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. Like you were ready to be married. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. It's God saying, I, I came to you, my people, and I spread my garment over you, and I made a commitment to you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I'll be your husband, and you will be like my wife. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. And we're going to enter into this covenant relationship, and you are mine. And what Ruth is doing is she's laying down at Boaz's feet, pulling the gar- corner of his garment over her, saying, Boaz... I want to commit myself to you. I want to be your wife and I want you to be my husband. Enter into this covenant with me. Protect me. Provide for me. And uh, that's pretty forward (laughs) back in the day, right? That's not how things normally happened. And so there is some tension building. Like how is Boaz going to respond? I mean... Just me, practically, is Boaz awake yet? <laughs> like, does he really know what's going on? Um, but he's awake. And he responds godly. He responds graciously. And you can hear even joy in, in Boaz's voice. He says to, to Ruth, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He prays a blessing over Ruth. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord for her kindness. And we talked about that, for her steadfast love. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord for your steadfast love because this act of steadfast love to Boaz, he said, is is even greater than your first act of steadfast love, which was to Naomi. In chapter 1, where Ruth came to Naomi and she said, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I move. Right? I'll follow you. That was her act of steadfast love and faithfulness to Naomi. And now she's coming to Boaz and saying the same kind of a thing. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to commit myself to you if you're ready to commit to me. And he said, this is a greater act of steadfast love than even your commitment to Naomi because you didn't chase after all those young men, right? She'd been working in the fields with young men for two months. She had a lot of opportunities. And he said, you didn't go after any of those young men. Even You didn't go after poor ones, like you didn't marry a poor guy, but you loved him so much you didn't care, right? Which is probably most of us when we first got married. You didn't go after money. You didn't go after a rich young man either, but you're marrying out of faithfulness, steadfast love. She wants to marry Boaz out of steadfast love to Naomi and steadfast love to God. Because by marrying Boaz, Naomi can have an heir. Apart from that, Naomi's line is done. She has no, no more children, no more grandchildren. The line is dead. And so... Because Ruth committed herself to Naomi and said, I'm, I'm here with you and I'm going to care for you. She's showing steadfast love to Naomi by marrying Boaz. 
to provide an heir for her. But she's also showing steadfast love to God because she's following in the processes and the procedures that God has laid out. That when your husband dies, there's a redeemer, a close family relative who will come in and take you up and care for you. So she's honoring God and she's honoring Naomi by this process. And, and Boaz goes on. I mean, he's, he has nothing but good things to say about Ruth. He says, my daughter, don't fear. I'll do for you all that you ask. For all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He says, yeah, I would love to marry you. Everyone in town knows that you are a worthy woman. Which is fitting, right? Because just in the last chapter, we heard that Boaz was a worthy man. And so there's this picture of we have a worthy man in Boaz and a worthy woman in Ruth, and now they're going to enter into marriage with one another. But, but there's even more going on to what Boaz says. Um, this idea of a worthy woman comes from another part of Scripture that's really well known um, in Proverbs, Proverbs 31. It says, an excellent wife who can find she's far more precious than jewels. Uh, guess how you can also translate the word excellent? Worthy. It's the same exact Hebrew word. A worthy wife who can find she's far more precious than jewels. And so Boaz recognizes that Ruth is this type of woman. And if you read through Proverbs 31 and, and t- see the type of woman they describe, this woman who's hardworking, who's committed to her family, who's trustworthy and generous and caring, you think, they're describing Ruth, aren't they? To a T. And Boaz says, Ruth, I see this in you. You are a worthy woman. You are the wife that anyone would love to have. You're a wife that is more valuable than any of the wealth I could ever have. And so you would expect him to follow the song, right? You've got a worthy man, a worthy woman. He says, man, you're the best wife I could ever have. Let's, let's go get this done now. Just marry the girl, right? No matter what anybody says. That'd be romantic, right? Instead, he has to go and do this. He says, and now it's true. I am a redeemer, but there's a redeemer nearer than I. So remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. And it's at that point where everybody goes... Come on, man. <laughs> right? This girl, she, she came to you. She took a risk. She, she laid her heart out for you. She took initiative to you. And you say, well, there's another guy. Uh, you know, I need his permission first. Come on. That's so unromantic. Like, Boaz, get up and do something about it. And yet, there's something deeper going on here, isn't there? I mean, first, recognize the very first words out of his mouth after she asked him, he said, I will do for you all that I ask, all that you ask. He said, he's telling her, yeah, I want to marry you. He didn't first go in and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> he let her know, yeah, I'm interested in this, right? This, this is a good thing. I, I want to marry you. But he also is a man of integrity. He knows that there's other processes and procedures that need to happen in order for this marriage to be done rightly. And so he's not going to take matters into his own hands. He's going to follow his God. He's going to do the right thing. 
at the right time, in the right way. And so he knows that there's another guy in town who he needs his permission before he can marry Ruth. And so he's not going to bypass that. He's not going to try to find a loophole or a detour. He's going to go through the right process. And then he ends it and he says, if he's not willing to redeem you, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. I mean, he makes a, a vow to God, a commitment before God, I will redeem you. And, and what this does for Ruth is it tells her within the next day she's going to be redeemed by one person or another. Someone's going to protect her. Someone's going to provide for, you, for her. And I'm going to say, I don't care who you are, that's romantic. This is a man who knows his God, a man who's committed to his God, and he's committed to doing things the right way. And he's committed not to taking advantage of this vulnerable young woman who's put herself in a a risky situation, in a vulnerable situation, but he's going to be patient and he's going to do things the right way. And that's romantic. And, and, And rushing in and doing whatever you want, no matter what anybody else has to say, letting your emotions and your hormones take control and ignoring God's plans and processes and procedures and and God's desires, that is not romantic. (laughs) It's foolish. And it's not the way to start a relationship, and it doesn't actually lead to a fruitful relationship. But it's even deeper than that. It's way deeper than that because Boaz didn't just act out of patience and integrity for no reason. His patience and his integrity flowed from his faith in God. He trusted God. And uh, Sinclair Ferguson, if you want another book recommendation, I'll give, it's called uh, Faithful God by Sinclair Ferguson, and he's working his way through the book of Ruth as well. Um, he says the response of Boaz is characterized by a deep-seated trust that God is well able to bring his purposes to pass in his own ways and in his own time. That's why Boaz is able to say, all right, there's, some, there's things we need to do before we're going to get married. And God has told us to do it this way, and I trust my God that if he's told us to do it this way, it's right and it's good. And if God wants us to be married... We will be married after we go through the plans and the procedures. And he did that because he trusted his God. He had faith in his God. And, and, and the hard words behind all of this is those who refuse to follow the processes and the procedures of God and just kind of rush in and do what they want to do, whatever, no matter what anybody else says, that actually shows a lack of faith. Now, I know that's kind of a hard word, but it's true. It's a refusal to trust God. It's a refusal to trust that God has it this way for a reason and that God will carry about His purposes if we follow Him. And so it's a lack of faith and uh, faithlessness is not romantic. But faith and trust in God is romantic. And, And a faithful man and a faithful woman who's patient and trusts their God and and are willing to kind of go through things and do them the right way, that is romantic. 
And, and as the story ends, we watch Boaz kind of step into the role already, which I love. He, he's not overstepping his bounds, but, but he starts doing two things that, that the Bible tells husbands and fathers to do. You're to protect and provide. Okay, we see that God as our Father, He provides for us, He protects us. And us as men and fathers and husbands, we are called to provide for and protect our families. And so Boaz says, tells Ruth, he says, all right, stay here till morning. And then Ruth gets up before anyone can recognize her. He said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Because they both knew how it looked. <laughs> right? So it wasn't a completely innocent looking scene, right? Things did not look good. And we know from what Ruth said that what happened there was innocent and godly, but nobody else would see it that way. And so Boaz wants to protect Ruth's integrity, her, her, her reputation. But it wasn't safe to send her out in the middle of the night for her to go wandering through town all dolled up with a bunch of perfume on and just strolling through town. And so he says, all right, I don't know what to do here, but stay, stay the night. And then before anyone can kind of recognize you, take off because I want to protect you. And then he says, bring, bring the garment you're wearing, the, this, the shawl, and hold it out. And so she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. So he's providing for her. He's protecting her and he's providing for her. And, and the six measures, we don't really know what measure they're talking about. The most, probably the best idea is that this is about 60 to 100 pounds of grain. Um, it's like double the amount that she gleaned on that first day. He just piles it on her so much so that she can't lift it on her back herself. He has to lift it up and tie it onto her or, or set it on her head maybe um, and so that she can bring it home. And so he's providing for her very generously. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to see some people saying, what, what's with the grain, right? And on the one hand, it's part of Boaz's character. He's been generous and so... It would make sense. Other people have said that, well, this is just an interesting way for Ruth to be able to answer the question, what were you doing on the threshing floor? Oh, getting grain. (laughs) Uh, I I don't think that's what it was because next week we'll find out that Boaz actually says this grain is not for Ruth. It's for Naomi. He says, don't let your mother-in-law know that you came here and haven't come back with a bunch of grain. And so he's, he's wanting to tell Naomi something with this grain. And I think Sinclair Ferguson nails it on the head. He said, this is what Boaz is saying with the grain. I understand the need, Naomi. I understand your panic. I understand why you did this. I don't approve, right? He's saying, like, Naomi, this was, you're kind of crossing a line here, Naomi. But, it's not by heart. My heart is open to you in grace, and this is a little message to you. Trust in the provision that God will supply. Trust God, Naomi. Stop trying to take things into your own hands. Stop trying to push an agenda here, but trust God. He will provide for you. And, and, and Boaz is saying, I'm trusting God will provide for me and that we'll end up getting married as we go through things. And he's telling Naomi, you trust God as well. I'll keep providing for you with grain and we're going to go
see something deeper here. We're not just supposed to see this relationship between Ruth and Boaz. We're actually supposed to see our relationship with our Savior. As we watch Ruth lay herself at the feet of Boaz, we're reminded that that's what it looks like when we come to Jesus in faith. We lay down at his feet and say, I've got nothing to bring here. I need you. I need you to provide for me. I need you to protect me because I've got nothing. And we lay down at Jesus' feet because we know we can't get that anywhere else. We've looked. We've looked at our own selves. We've looked in the world. We can't find that anywhere else. And so we know the only place we can have it is from Jesus. And so we lay down at his feet and we say, redeem me. And in Scripture, we find out that he redeemed us. It says, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so we're reminded that when we lay our lives at Jesus' feet and say, I need you to redeem me, I need you to protect me and provide for me, Jesus says, I've done it all. I lived my life for you. I died for you. I rose from the dead for you to protect you from your sin, to provide you with salvation. But his protection and his provision goes much deeper and much more broadly than just our own salvation. There's this really powerful passage in Romans. I would encourage you all to memorize it and carry it with you wherever you go. It says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It says, God has provided for us salvation. He has protected us from our sin by sending his son Jesus to die for us. Why would we doubt that he would provide for us and protect us in every other area of our life? He's done it in the most deepest need we have. He will do it in every other area of life. And so then we live lives of faith and trust and we follow Boaz's lead as we do that. We don't don't rush into things and do things our own way because we know that every time we do that, we mess it up. And so we live lives of faith and we trust our God that if God has told us to do something, we trust Him and we say, God, I want to do that because I know that's what's best for me. And if God says you have to do things this way, we don't look for loopholes and detours and try to finagle our way around it. We say, Lord, I trust you. I don't know what I'm doing. I trust you. We don't allow our emotions and our hormones to lead the way. We don't follow our heart. We trust God. And we do the things that He's told us to do because we know that He will protect us and He will provide for us and He'll do it through the procedures and the paths that He's laid out for us to do all of these things. And that's what it means to live a life of faith. That means to take every step of faith, looking to our God, asking Him, how have you called me to live now? Because I trust you. How have you called me to go about finding a husband, finding a wife, finding a job, finding a church, finding a home, caring for my parents? How have you called me to do that? Because I want to follow you because I trust you. You've protected me. You've provided for me all the days of my life. And I trust that you will in the future as well. Let's come to our God in prayer. Father, we continue to come and thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the promise that you've given us, that you will provide for us, you'll protect us. Father, we hold on to that. We, we do trust you for that. Often, I know, Lord, often we don't trust you. Often we try to take matters into our own hands and we do what we want to do and we ignore everyone around us and we just run headlong and get ourselves into trouble. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that. We're thankful that we can rest in your forgiveness for when we rush ahead and we do foolish things and get ourselves in trouble. Um, we're thankful that you will rescue us and redeem us and, and pull us out of that pit. But Father, we also pray that your spirit would, would move in us to, to grow our faith and to grow our trust so that we would live our lives out of that faith and trust in you. As we seek to make decisions in the world, that we'd make those decisions out of faith and trust in you. And Lord, we pray that, that you would stir our hearts to trust you more fully in every aspect of life. May we trust you to provide for us, and may we trust you to protect us. And as we live out lives of faith, we pray that you would receive glory and honor and praise. And all God's people said,